This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. This is Let Me Tell You. Now, here's Joan Hamburg. People who suddenly up and change their lives midstream follow a dream, maybe, that they always wanted to do. What gives people courage to do that? Come take a look with me on Let Me Tell You. We have been talking to people the last couple of weeks who, in the middle of their lives, some of them very successful, have taken a risk and done something they've always wanted to do. We spoke to a marketing PR exec, successful firm, business booming, who sort of turned his back on it and decided he was going to run for politics. He was sick of just complaining and talking about it. He wanted to be a part of a real process. And he did it. And we've talked to various people who did it. And then I noted that a woman I've known over many years, Diane Sokolow, whose career has been very successful in the movie and television world, both here in New York City, in L.A. Diane has done tons of projects that you've seen and work with most of the big names in the business. But all of a sudden, Diane has a book that she's written called Small Potatoes, like what happened? How did that happen? And it's not so easy to write a book. It takes tremendous time and concentration. I can't tell you how many books I've started. I have a drawer full of would-be, maybe, but no books. Diane did it. So I wanted to find out her story. What does it take and what made her decide that at this time in her life, and at a certain age, why was she going to go for it and attempt to write a book? But she did more than attempt. It happened. So, Diane, fill us in, doing very well in the movie and TV business. And then I hear that you've got a book. What? Well, I'm happy, I'm happy to tell you the trajectory of this book. Um, about 20 years ago, the book is based on an actual incident that happened in my family when I was a young teenager through college. Um, and there's this expression called red diaper baby, which a lot of people know what it is, but I'll say what it is in case you don't. It's basically growing up in a household where one or both parents had um, uh, leftist leanings in the 30s, and it was pretty common. It was very common in Brooklyn where I grew up. And my dad was a postal worker, um, a, a person who started working in the postal uh, community when he was 16, left high school. He was at Stuyvesant High. And um, because it was a steady job and he was responsible for supporting his family of, of one brother and three sisters plus a mother. Um, coincidentally, parenthetically, I should say, his father died in that 1918 flu epidemic that 
was being referred to so frequently during our pandemic. Mm. But this story that happened to my dad, who was a government employee, because he was married to my mother, who was a a very vocal and very um, uh, involved leftist thinker, was quite astonishing because he was up for his um, uh, retirement and his pension, which, of course, he worked for all those years, hoping that in his 40s, he would start a new business life. And suddenly it was taken away from him because in the House House Un-American Activities Committee, uh, government employees associated in any way with lefties um, were fired or brought up on charges. It was a very astonishing and horrible and quite honestly, life-breaking incident that happened in my family. So about 20 or 25 years ago, I attempted to write it because it's been on my mind. And I have a very dear friend who's a wonderful agent and a pal. And when I told her about it, she basically said, don't even spend five minutes on that. No one cares. Um, It just absolutely destroyed me. I thought, oh, my God, I can't. I just have to not do this. But about seven or eight years ago, I started to tell one of my grandchildren, of course, so old, that practically as old as I am now, uh, what, what happened. And I realized I would try to write this. So I dusted off my hurt feelings and my uh, the dismissal I got on the, on the idea of doing it and decided to give it a shot. And I have to say, I started it in my early 80s and I finished it in my mid 80s. Mm. And it was really hard to do. 105 or 7 pages long. It's it's a novella. It's not a full novel. Um, but even if it were two pages long, it is hard, I think, anywhere. I felt it's very hard to write. But I wanted my not only my grandchildren, but all the tons of cousins I have and their kids and just this whole kind of outreach to family that never knew this happened in the history of their family. And it was a very very difficult time for my family. It destroyed my father. It did not destroy their marriage because they were uh, quite inseparable and very um, supportive of each other, but it took a lot of guts for my dad not to walk out the door um, because his life was just being ruined. In any event, that's the genesis of why I decided to do it. I thought better now, I mean, uh, not, not necessarily better now, if not now, when. When, right. Yeah. And you were just such a child when all this happened. It's amazing yes, the impact it had on you. You know, it had such a—and a, a, the, there's an, another irony. My, my brother, who was four years older than I, um, uh, was in the uh, United States Air Force. And while this was all going on and my father was accused of consorting with a known communist, namely his wife, um, my brother was busily being in the also employed by the same government mm. and also had consorted with the same lefty, but oblivious to this happening because uh, my mother really was a, a, a information control freak. And she thought there's no reason to upset my brother in the Far East, let him let, let him live his life. Um, and, and he was not affected by it except for the shock mm-hmm. uh, uh, when he found out about it many years later. 
I mean, when it was not that many years later, but when it was adjudicated. But that's really the genesis of the story. And the um, I got a tremendous amount of um, pleasure and joy out of actually writing it. Uh, I had no aspirations of it ever being published. I, uh, especially, by the way, a novella. It, I, you know. It's right. impossible it's to publish something that short. I mean, mm. if, if you're Ernest Hemingway and you have three novellas, you could get them in and published in one edition. Mm-hmm. But it's it's like a pamphlet almost when you think about it as such a short piece of writing. It's a long, long short story. So um, that's that was my motivation to do it. And once I got on a roll with it, I absolutely couldn't stop. I mean, I just worked and worked and worked on it. And when it came time to um, attempt to get it read and published. Uh, There was not one door open, but there is something called self-publishing, and it it is a very precise um, endeavor. And I was put in touch with a wonderful guy in Minnesota. Um, We never have met to this day. We probably never will. But he walked me through the process and managed to get the book I put it in shape, obviously, but he got every all the rights and all the authentic authentication and all the stuff you have to do for the congressional library, et cetera. That was his job, and he did a beautiful job of it. And then um, there it was, published. And then after it got published, what happened? How did you well, start getting you know, the word out? And Well, this is, you know, I'm so... Yeah, I'm 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 old enough not to know how to do cut and paste, much less get anything on uh, on uh, social media. Mm-hmm. But my kids put put the word out. Very dear friends of mine all put it on their Facebook page because I got a lot of encouragement um, after they read it. And little by little, it got out there. And then a man I don't know, but found it and gave me a. Well, just a sparkling review, and that um, uh, precipitated a great many sales of the book. So, you know, I feel like a door-to-door salesman. I'm telling this tale one person at a time, but I've gotten everything I wanted out of it. I wanted it published. Right. I wanted the family to read it, and obviously my friends. And I'm oh so elated when I hear from somebody I don't know who said, I just found your book and, you know, it meant a lot and et cetera. So I, it was everything I wanted out of it, except, you know, getting on the cover of Time magazine. Well, Uh it isn't over yet. (laughs) Um, Well, that's the thing about a book. It has a life. And, uh, you know, as I said, this man found it and, and wrote this review of it that, when I saw it, and he put the review on Facebook, and when my kids saw it, we were we were astonished. I mean, it, right. was, it was great. So little by little, it's getting out there. But the people I needed to write it for, the uh, 100 or 125 people at the big spokes of my family and their families, et cetera, et cetera, that's, that's, that was met. Those expectations were met, and I was very happy about that. But now that it's done and your major expectation was realized, 
Does it make you now want to sit down? Is there this was a, a true story predicated on truth, a family yes. story? Is there something else in that fertile brain that's waiting to come out? Well, yeah, I've been I've been working on a memoir, and and mainly I wanted to tell the, the um, struggle that my family, my family being my, me and my husband and our kids went through when my husband was. Um, diagnosed with cancer in his uh, late 40s and and died at the age of 58. That story I am still working on, uh, that's very interwoven with my career and his career because... You were together a lot on that. We were partners. um, I had a whole bunch of really interesting jobs and fun jobs in the movie and television world. And at a, at a certain point, we decided to partner up and produce together, and we did pretty well. We did a couple of really um, award-winning TV movies um, and other stuff. So I was tinkering with that, and I I'm a little encouraged to go back to it um, more and more because I now I have to admit I enjoyed the process of writing. Yeah, and not everyone does. And you're a very social person, too. So, Well, it's... thanks to the pandemic, I occasionally leave my den. Yeah. Once, <laughs> once, in, a, once in a blue moon, I go into the living room. Right. <laughs> That's what, or maybe get a little air, not too much. But Well, yeah, I live close enough to Central Park that I, get, I do get into the park almost every day. Um, but, you know, everything's sort of measured now in some strange way. Yeah, it's Sorry. a totally and different time. Yeah, totally different times. So that's that what got me to do this. And I have a very wonderful friend, a young guy I know forever, known him since the day he was born, and we've stayed friends during his adult life, and he's now in his 40s. And he called me up, which is, let's face it, folks, unusual these days. Usually it's a text. Right. But he called me up and he said two things. One, I did not know you were doing this. How could you not tell me? And two, in your 80s, you published your first book in your... <laughs> so that was a very charming little moment for me because it was very... It came from a person I love, and it was clever and funny, and I just enjoyed hearing that. Right. And and now on to the next. Now that you yes. know, and you've been through the worst part. Yes. Indeed, indeed, indeed. No. I've had a few people reach out. I, I did a, an hour um, on WBAI. There's a, a, a woman I've known over the years. In fact, we developed a movie together many years ago, uh, and she has a radio program and was doing um, a, ser- a series on, on what, as I referred to earlier, red diaper babies, uh, people who grew up as... as um, kids in households where there was political thinking that you couldn't sort of go out in the street and, and publicize. Um, and, and we had a laugh together because when we, I have, I had a wonderful brother, as I said earlier, and when we were kids, our mother would take us to something called Hootenannies and they were basically folk singing um, festivals, but they always appeared to be in somebody's basement it was of like course. you couldn't you couldn't even go out in the street with this. And the big song Pete Seeger had was called "If I Had a Hammer." And if you if you knew that song, it was like 
it was like a wink that you, you know, there was leftist thinking in your household if you had if you knew that song. And then one day, there it is on the radio recorded by Trini Lopez. And I thought, oh, I'm liberated. I can now tell the world I know that song. Well, you... uh, this, the, it was a Pete Seeger song. And he used to show up, by the way, at those little things that people would have in their basements or they're no. sometimes in living rooms. That's right. I, I remember that. And those days, I was reminding someone. We had a neighbor when I was a child who was a wonderful cook. and But his cooking was limited to delicatessen food. <laughs> and every Sunday, he would make pastrami's, corned beefs, briskets. Every pot in the house was going. Wow. And he would invite the whole neighborhood except for one neighbor who lived two or three houses down from him. So as a child, I never understood that. Everyone was invited. And I asked the host, the cooker, why didn't you invite Mr. X and his family? Their daughter is one of my best friends. He looked at me and he said, little girl, we didn't invite him because he's a communist. Now, those Whoa. were the days. So I said, I don't know what that is because I didn't really then. And how do you know? He said, he mows his own lawn. <laughs> and I never forgot that. And I was telling someone so from the great. old neighborhood that story just the other night. Oh, that is so he oh He God. mows his own lawn. Those were really difficult days for a lot of people. Anyway, Diane, I was excited when I got small potatoes. Diane Sokolow, she did a really good job. And knowing her, Diane's career has been and is still in television, in movies. She'll find something to do with this, or the next one is waiting to come out. So I look forward to it. Thank you, and thank you so much, Joni, for having me on. Anytime, all the best. And I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC. Stay tuned.